So with thing being online, um, you know, we found out that people still struggle with, you know, loneliness and uh, stay connected because, um, you know, some people just don't want to go anywhere and just try to be uh, social distancing and stay safe. And uh, something we would like to challenge y'all to do is to um, write the note or cooking food or bake, have a baked good and deliver to the, the friend of your choice. Um, whether or not that's your coworker or people in our church, but we just, you know, want to concentrate on people in our church so that they feel less lonely and they know that some people are thinking about them. Okay, great. Thanks for that. That's a great idea. Um, also, there was a small group survey that went out. And I think that something that was unclear about that is that was not just a survey. It was also a sign up for small groups for this coming year. If you've not been a part of the adult small groups before, uh, we assign groups in September and then we meet in those groups until the end of the following August. So those groups will be together for a year. And if you are a graduate, we want you to be a part of those groups. Um, and so please, if you haven't already, take that survey so that you sign up for small groups for this year and do that um, as soon as you can this week because we need to start assigning those. The second opportunity is there was a leadership survey, which is also an opportunity for you to sign up to be a part of leadership at Denton North. And so part of it was to express if you're interested in leading one of the groups, and part of it was to express if you're interested in being a part of one of the groups. Um, so, for instance, if you were interested in the focus transition team, then you could either say that you're interested in leading that team or in being a member of that team. And so go and take that survey if you haven't already um, so that we know where you're interested in leading and we can get those teams put together. And again, that's something we need you to do as soon as possible. And then good news we will be meeting in person soon. We will continue meeting on Zoom until then. We will continue meeting on Zoom until then. But September 13th will be our first in-person Sunday. And what we will be doing is meeting outside at the GDAC, the Greater Denton Arts Council. We'll be meeting in the parking lot under the trees. You can bring blankets, you can bring chairs. That allows us to have more people there meeting outside and it allows us to social distance as much as we want to. So if you're comfortable being a lot further away, you can position yourself a lot further away from other people. And the other bonus of that is that if we have bad weather, we can actually move inside. We just won't be able to have as many people, but we will have the option of moving inside. The building will be open when we meet so that we can use the restrooms. Um, and we'll be giving you a lot more details about this as we get closer to that Sunday. But make sure you have September 13th is when we'll start meeting again outside at the GDAC. And I could have been distracted, but it'll be at 9.30 in the morning. So we're changing up the time totally. Um, but if you want to still attend 11, we'll probably... Do 11 maybe for our Zoom audio. I guess, but no, no, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, changing the times, it's too hot. Yes, 
And those are the details that we'll be talking about in the coming weeks. So every semester we take two Sundays um, just to talk through our mission and vision and values as a church um, to remind us what those are and um, kind of focus on those. And so I'm gonna talk today and then Brad will talk next Sunday. And as I was working on this sermon, I ran across an article called 101 Good News Stories from Around the World. And it's created by Reader's Digest. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to click on this and read a few of these. I wound up reading all 101. They have a picture that go with them. The stories are really short. And they're good news about all kinds of things. And so everything from animals to recycling to energy to social initiatives, it's just all kinds of good news. And they were so fun to read. But I wanted to share a few of these with you this morning. So we're going to see if this works. But I have a picture that goes with each of them. So here's the first one. This handsome guy's name is Stumpy. And Stumpy is a Labrador who was destined for a career as a side as a guide dog. Um, but sadly, he has a deformed leg. And so it didn't work out for him to be a guide dog. But he found another way to help um, dogs, and he is a blood donor for other dogs. How cool is that? So he has a negative blood type, which is especially valuable because he can give to any dog. And he has saved more than 100 canine lives since he was one years old. And Stumpy's been crowned the United Kingdom's most prolific blood donor dog. So I thought that was pretty cool, especially for a dog. The second one, this man's name is Karim Waspi. And when a car packed with explosives detonated in Baghdad, he is the conductor of Iraq's National Symphony Orchestra. And he did something unusual when that happened. As police surrounded the area, he took out his cello, sat on a chair, and began to play amidst the debris. It was an attempt to overcome grotesque acts of terror by an act of beauty, he says. He since founded the Center for Creativity, Peace Through Arts, which brings young people from different ethnic backgrounds together to play music on Baghdad streets. And I just thought that was such a great example of being creative in the way that you can bring healing to a community in the midst of terror. The next one, residents in Denia, a town of Spain's Costa Blanca, were amazed to see a young man scale a wall into a burning house and save a disabled man trapped by flames. As dark smoke billowed from a balcony window, the mystery rescuer emerged with Alex, 39, over his shoulder. The hero turned out to be a singly street seller, and he said, I didn't think, I just climbed up to get him, revealing that he was an illegal immigrant who had arrived two years previously at age 17 on a boat from Africa. He said, it's true that I am poor but I have a heart that wants to help people and I knew I could save him. Hailed publicly as a hero, he is modest and said, I just did what any good human would do. And I find that so inspiring and so encouraging. Let's just do what any good human would do. 
And then the last one, this one is, uh, where is this one? We'll find it as we go along. I can't remember exactly where it is right now. But it says, in Europe, we throw out so many things, says Martin Postma, long frustrated by our throwaway culture. I wanted to do something about it. What she did was to open the first repair cafe in Amsterdam. Amsterdam's where we are. A social space where people could learn to fix anything from vacuum cleaners and toys to jewelry and clothes rather than dump them in the trash. The idea quickly spread. This year, the Amsterdam Cafe marked its 10th anniversary and has now inspired more than 1,500 other repair cafes around the world. For a small fee, it helps people in other cities open their own cafe. It provides a step-by-step -step manual along with other support and the basic approach is the same. Volunteer repair experts show cafe goers how to fix their broken items. They like sharing the knowledge and helping other people. It's about doing something together in the here and now. And I just thought, what a cool idea for helping people come together, but also helping with all of the things that we throw away, helping to recycle and reuse those rather than just get rid of them. So if you have time, I would encourage you to go and read some more of those stories because they're super encouraging and inspiring. And But as Christians, I think we ought to be passionate about good news. Um, like that's what the gospel is, is good news. And as we take a few minutes to talk about our mission this morning, I want us to think about the good news. Our mission is what we do. And so our mission as a church is to make and mature disciples to the glory of God. And it comes from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And sure, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And as I read this passage again, because um, I've read it a lot of times and meditated on it this week, just thinking about, okay, God, what do you want me to say about this? What do you want me to tell people? The thing that really stuck out to me was just how I've really struggled the past few years with the making disciples part of our mission and with how to proclaim the good news to people around me. The first few years that we moved to Denton, we were busy getting to know Denton, trying to figure out the culture here and how that translated into ministry, building community at DNC, and I had a person in my life that considered themselves a Christian and yet held, interestingly enough, uh, some pretty strong disgust for Christians in general and um, just really struggled with how to live as a disciple. And I spent a lot of time with her. I spent a lot of time with focus women and a lot of time with non-student women at DNC Kurt and I met some people outside the community. We met people at the rec center. We met people, um, where else did we meet? Oh, in our neighborhood, we met our neighbors. Uh, but most of them were Christians and were involved in a church and seemed to be growing disciples. So a couple of years ago, when kind of all of that activity started to slow down some, 
I realized that I knew very few non-Christians in Denton, like very few. Um, and I realized that I didn't, I wasn't making disciples because I didn't know anybody that needed to, to be made into a disciple. I wasn't crossing paths with those people. And as much as I would love for this to be a sermon today about how I got all of that figured out, the honest truth about it is that's still a struggle for me. It's still something that I'm trying to figure out and trying to work through. And it's frustrating to me because making disciples is foundational to who I am. It's foundational to who our church family is. And it's been my mission for over 25 years. So why all of a sudden do I feel like this is so difficult to do? And I think that one of the things that uh, really struck me as I was thinking through this is just that making disciples is a living mission. To tell the good news to people is not something you just figure out how to do. It's something that's dynamic. And it changes as culture and society change. It changes as I change and as I grow and as I am in different life situations and living in different places. Um, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the gospel changes. The gospel doesn't change. But the way that we communicate it does if we want to be effective in sharing it um, in a way that's meaningful and that's accessible to other people. So making disciples is about telling the good news and maturing disciples is about how to live the good news. So this morning in kind of thinking through some of what I've shared with you, I just have three simple things I want us to think about. These are nothing new. They're nothing that you're going to go, oh my gosh, this is so revolutionary to making and maturing disciples. I can do that now. They're all just very simple things that I think in thinking through will help us to be more effective in making and maturing disciples. So the first one is, in order to be effective in making disciples, we have to believe that the gospel is good news for each of us personally. We have to believe that the gospel is good news for each of us personally. In the Old Testament, the good news is a message of victory or of news that brings joy, such as um, the announcement that there's a new king. In the New Testament, the good news is a phrase that's used to summarize all of Jesus's teachings. And so if I were going to kind of wrap all that together in a neat package, I would say it's the announcement that Jesus is God the Son who lived, died, and raised to be the king of the world that we so desperately need. And that if there's a new king in charge, it means that a new way of life needs to happen. And the gospel is the good news that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to change, that the, the gospel has the power to change people. And the gospel has the power to change us. In the book Pastor, William Willimon says, behind Luke Acts is the confidence that Christian life and proclamation become significant for the world when Christians are grasped by something significant to say. When the message grips the messenger, the renewed messenger will find the means to speak even as Peter finds his tongue at Pentecost to tell the crowd in the streets that something indeed has happened. 
And the part about when the message grips the messenger, we have something to speak, really stuck out to me. And I wondered if the good news was really good news to us. Has that really gripped us? Do we have something significant to say to the world? See, it's easy to talk about the good news in pretty churchy ways that seem pretty academic and not very personal. Even what I shared with you a few minutes ago, like all wrapped up into a package, this is what I would say the gospel is, is pretty detached from how I would describe that in a personal way. And so I want us to think about how is the gospel good news to me personally? And I asked Tony Thomas if he would share his answer to that question with us this morning. And so, Tony, I'm going to ask if you would share that right now. Okay. Uh, I wrote it down just so that I don't forget specific points that I had. Um, so, yes, the prompt that they gave me was, can you all hear me okay, first of all? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, the prompt that Leslie gave me was, why is the gospel personally good to me? And so I wrote, because it gives people and purpose. There was a time my life was not being shaped by the gospel, and there's a clear difference in how my life is now. Without it, my life is filled with decisions that satisfy and fulfill me alone, and there's no regard to sin or what God is doing in my life or the lives around me. The gospel and life of Jesus give me hope in that I'm saved from sin and can trust God with my life, and that because power with purpose that he gives as well. Practical example that I want to give for this is uh, my marriage. Both within the marriage and outside of my marriage, how I treat my spouse, how we make decisions, how we handle issues, what we do with our time, how we serve people, how we involve ourselves in community. All this would look different without the hope and purpose that the gospel brings into my life. So that ties into the fact that it reminds me that God is actively working. Um, basically, that uh, hope and purpose is what I, uh, two things that I decide to specifically draw from what the gospel brings into my life, how it is a good thing into my life, specifically into my marriage, uh, and how that gives my marriage both purpose within the marriage and outside of the marriage as well, as what we do together. Uh, so those things would look completely different without the gospel, how I navigate marriage, how we spend our time, how we go about making decisions with our lives. Um, and knowing that God is working um, has always been, is what gives me both the hope and purpose with what to do with the areas of my life, um, which would look completely different and probably more self-absorbed without that. Um, so, yeah. That's all I had, Leslie. Okay, thanks, Tony. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and so I think that you can hear in what Tony says how the gospel is personal in his life. And so I want you to be thinking about in the next couple of weeks, how is the gospel personal in your life? The second thing is in order to be effective in making disciples, we have to believe that God is working around us and that he wants to use us in that work. We have to believe God is working around us and he wants to use us in that work. 
And so I wanted to share a story with you this morning um, of a friend of mine. And some of you will probably know this family. A lot of you probably won't, but her name is Laurie. And Laurie and her husband, Kyle, met and were drawn to each other over their love of partying. They loved drinking, drugs, anything that brought pleasure. They lived life big, and that was what drew them together. And the first part of their married life, they continued in that party lifestyle. And as you can imagine, the longer they were married, the more that that created some difficulties in their marriage, in their work life, in trying to live an adult life. And Laurie started wondering if they should slow down on some of those things. But at this point, um, Kyle had become an alcoholic and he was enjoying the party life more than ever and was not the least bit interested in stopping. So then a life-changing event occurred. Laurie was pregnant. And when she became pregnant, she stopped the drinking and drugs because of the pregnancy. And her desire for a stable, more family-oriented um, life grew. Their baby boy, Kevin, was born. And while there was a lot of joy, there was also a lot of conflict over her and Kyle's increasingly different values. And one of the gifts that they got at a baby shower was a toddler Bible. And so Laurie started reading that toddler Bible to Kevin every night. And as she read, she began to know who Jesus was. She began to hear the gospel. And God worked in Laurie's life through a toddler Bible to tell her the good news and to lead her to Christ. And it seemed like the more that she embraced Jesus, the more Kyle embraced alcohol. And Laurie was very lonely. But God was with her in that loneliness. And he invited other people to join him in the work that he was doing in their family. And over a few years, through other people that accepted that invitation to where God was working, um, the power of the gospel totally changed this family. Both of them became Christians. Kyle beat his addiction to alcohol. Their marriage was repaired and became not just okay, but became good. And um, their family became a healthy family unit. And they told a lot of other people about the good news that had changed their life. It was evident to a lot of other people in the way the good news changed their life, that something was going on and it gave them a great opportunity um, to share the good news with other people. And I think that a lot of times when we meet families like this that are in, um, that they have so much struggle and they have so much to overcome to get back to a healthy place that we can want to say no for them, that, um, that we can't do anything to help with that basically, I think is our struggle. But God doesn't ask us to save people. That's his job. He does that. And as a matter of fact, when we assume it's up to us to save other people, we really kind of live like atheists, like there is no God because it's all up to us. 
But what God says is, I choose you. Like, I choose you to help me with this, which is crazy. I don't know why God wants to choose us, but he does, and he involves us in it. And he's working in the lives of people all around us, and he invites us to join him and tell them the good news. And we make disciples when we see where God is working, where he's already working, already doing something, and we join him in that. So then the third one is that in order to be effective in making disciples, we have to believe that the gospel is good news for everyone. Romans 1.16 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And I wanted to read you the story of a woman named Verlene. This comes from um, the book that I quoted from earlier, Pastor by William Willimon. And I'm just going to read what he wrote because he, I can't say this story any better than he wrote it. So he's talking about the church that he's a part of. And he says, we decided that we needed to grow. We voted to launch a program of evangelism. We studied a program from our denomination telling us how to get new members. The church growth program advocated a system of door-to-door visitation. So we organized ourselves into groups of two, and on an appointed Sunday afternoon, we set out to visit to invite people to our church. Does that sound familiar? Each team was given a map with their assigned street. Helen and Gladys were given a map. They were clearly told to go down Summit Drive and to turn right. That's what they were told. I heard the team leader tell them, you go down Summit Avenue and turn right. But Helen and Gladys, both approaching 80 after lifetimes of teaching elementary school, were better at giving than receiving directions. They turned left, venturing down into the housing projects to the west of Summit Drive. We told them to turn right, but they turned left which meant that Helen and Gladys proceeded to evangelize the wrong neighborhood and thereby ran the risk of evangelizing the wrong people. Late that afternoon, each team returned to the church to make their report. Helen and Gladys had only one interested person to report to us, a woman named Verlene. She lived with her two children in a three-room apartment in the projects, we were told. Although she had never been to church in her life, Verlene wanted to visit ours. This is what you get, I said to myself, when you don't follow directions, when you don't do what the pastor tells you. The next Sunday, Helen and Gladys proudly presented Verlene at the 11 o'clock service, along with her two feral children. Verlene liked the service so much, she said she wanted to attend the women's Thursday morning Bible study. Helen and Gladys said they would pick her up. On Thursday, Verlene appeared, proudly clutching her new Bible, a gift of Helen's circle, the first Bible Verlene had ever seen, much less ever owned. I was leading the study that morning, a study on Luke 4, the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Have any of you ever been faced with temptation and with Jesus' help resisted? I asked the group. Have any of you refused some temptation because of your Christian commitment? One of the women told about how just the week before, she, in the, there was confusion in the supermarket checkout line. And before she knew it, she was standing in the parking lot with a loaf of bread that she hadn't paid for. At first, I thought she confessed, why should I pay for it? 
But then I thought, no, you are a Christian. So I went back in the store and paid for that loaf of bread. As the pastor, I made some kind of approving comment. It was then that Verlene spoke. A couple of years ago, I was into cocaine really big. You know what that's like. Makes you crazy. Well, anyway, my boyfriend, not the one I've got now, the one who was the daddy of my first kid, well, we knocked over a gas station one night, got $200 out of it. It was as simple as taking candy from a baby. Well, my boyfriend, he says to me, let's knock off that 7-Eleven down on the corner. And something in me says, no, I've held up that gas station with you, but I ain't gonna hold up no convenience store. He beat the crap out of me, but I still said no. It felt great to say no, because that's the only time in my life I ever said no to anything. Made me feel like I was somebody. Through the stunned silence, I mattered to, I managed to mutter, well, that's resisting temptation. And now it's time for our closing prayer. After I stumbled out of the church's parlor, I was standing out in the parking lot helping Helen into her Plymouth, and she said to me, you know, I can't wait to get home and get on the phone and invite people to come next Thursday. Your Bible studies used to be dull, but I think I can get a crowd here for this. And God laughed with delight. One of the reasons that I love that story is because that is so real. We go out with our plans on how we're going to evangelize the neighborhood and exactly what that's going to look like and who we're going to speak to. And God has completely and totally different plans for that. And I think that we have to believe that the gospel is good news for everyone if we're ever going to reach the people that really need to hear the good news and the people that God is working in their lives. The gospel is good news for everyone. And God's always at work around us and usually in people who are very different from us, people that we on our own wouldn't invite to come to Christ. In my experience, people who couldn't be more different from me are usually the people where God is working in their life. And he invites us as his church to join him. And it's hard, but it's also fun. And one, some of my greatest memories are from when we first started the Northeast Church and we went and shared the gospel with people that were way different from we were, from us, not people that were worse than us, not people that we were better than, but people that were just different, that came from a different lifestyle and different situation. And it, it can bring a lot of tears, but it also can bring a lot of laughter and a lot of joy. So we have to believe that the gospel is good news for everyone. So I think um, just in summarizing the three things that we need to believe if we're going to make disciples of people is that we need to believe that the gospel is good news for us, first of all. And then we need to believe that God's working around us and he wants to use us to work with him. And then we need to believe that the gospel is good news for everyone. Our missions to make and mature disciples to the glory of God, and it drives every decision we make for our church. And our next sermon series, Community, Character, and Christianity is no different. 
in that sermon series, community is about who are we? It's about the good news about God's plan for us as a community, what he wants us to look like, what he wants to accomplish through us. It's about character, who am I? Good news about how God changes us to look like him and to reflect his character. And it's about Christianity, who is Jesus? It's the good news about Jesus, it's the gospel. And all three of these should help us in telling the gospel to people and living the gospel. At the end of Matthew 28, Jesus says, and surely I am with you always. And as I shared at the beginning, I don't always know the best way to make and mature disciples. I don't always know the best way to meet people. And um, there's a lot of things, way more things I don't know than I do know. <laughs> but what I do know is that Jesus is going to be with me in that, that Jesus is going to teach me. He's going to change me, that he's going to empower me. And that in my mind, may be the best news of all as I think about this topic. And so my challenge for you is, how is the gospel good news to you personally? And where is God working around you? Those are the two things I want you to think about, talk with God about, and look for where those things are happening. And so we're going to split up into breakout, breakout groups right now. And really what I want you to do in those groups this morning is pray. I want you to first of all, praise God for specific ways he's good news in your life. And then secondly, I want you to pray for our church family, to pray that he would teach us how to tell the good news and how to live the good news as a church community. And at that time, if you want to pray specific names of people that you want to know the good news and that you want to be saved, you know, do that. But we're just going to spend some time praying together. And then I would encourage you after you've prayed to take time in your group just to talk, just to check in with each other, see how people are doing, share funny stories that are going on, you know, just connect with each other in your group. These are going to be groups of about four or five people. So you're going to, it's going to be easier for you to do that there in that group than it will be to come back to the big group and try and do that with a ton of people. Okay. And so we'll, I'll have, uh, oh, I think they've already put that prompt up for you so that you'll know what that is. So thank you for being here this morning. Please participate in your small group. I think that's super important. Um, and we will see you guys on Zoom again next week. So whenever you guys are ready, break us out into our groups. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.